So God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be worthy in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. It is in you who we trust. Amen. Good morning, y'all. How's it going? I want to say happy Father's Day to all of you who are fathers, to all of you who are stand-in dads or um, people who support fathers, anyone who supports raising and nurturing our kids and has the experience of loving them. We honor you today and everything that you do in their lives. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online, our middle school and high school students. Know that we love you and we're just so glad that you're in our midst worshiping with us today. One of the things I thought about most clearly as I was putting together um, this sermon for today was that we are strange mixtures of loss and of hope. And I say that as someone who navigated infertility and as someone who has journeyed through a divorce. Nothing in my life has felt more handcrafted and taken time to experience and understand as loss has. And for me, it didn't make sense for us to walk through a series that was about things that take time, things that for which there are no shortcuts, things that are meant to be experienced in real time instead of being skipped over without talking about loss. And I'd experienced it before, but the season of loss that really defined me as a man began the day that I found out that I, it wasn't likely that I would be able to have my own children. I was married at the time, and we'd been trying to have kids for over a year, and we hadn't gotten pregnant yet. And so I got checked out, and the doctor told me that it wasn't likely that I would be able to have biological children. And the moment the doctor said that, a vision of my future died. And it wasn't, I, I couldn't have told you before then how important that vision was to me. I didn't know how much I had invested in and hoped for and dreamed of a future in which I would be a dad and just assumed that I would get to follow the pathway that I'd seen so many other men follow towards being a father. So when I was told that we should consider other ways of having a family, I felt this empty space begin to open up in me. And it felt dark, and it felt, it was just so alone. And in the midst of that, my marriage became very strained. And it wasn't that we hadn't had challenges before, it's just that infertility really made things harder. And looking back, I, I can see that things had begun to slip, but I didn't know then what I know now. And a little over two years after trying various ways to get pregnant, ways to adopt, different things, my wife of seven years decided to leave our marriage. She was dissatisfied with us. She told me that she didn't love me anymore. She said that she couldn't be her best self in a marriage with me. And we tried counseling. And despite those attempts, we ended up separating almost four years ago. Now, to watch your marriage dissolve in front of you is a terrible thing. It may be one of the worst things I've experienced. My attempts to save it were too little too late. And I had to learn to accept that my marriage was over and that divorce was the only option. And in what felt like an instant, you know, like before everything had happened, I had a wife and I had her family here in Seattle and we had this community of friends that we were a part of that supported me and cared for me. And we had a vision, I had a vision of our future that we were pursuing together. And what felt like an instant, all of a sudden it was just me. And I was alone. And that dark and empty space in me grew larger. And I felt like a huge failure. I felt like that for a long time. There was a long while that 
my job every day was to get out of bed. Then it was to not get back in, and then to get through my day so that I could get back in it. And I functioned like that for a while. And in the midst of that, Psalm 27 was, a, was something that I clung to. And I would repeat part of it to myself. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I believe that I shall experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. I clung to it because it gave me hope. And it didn't try and explain away my pain. It didn't try and tell me that things weren't that bad. It allowed me to feel everything that I was feeling, but it pointed me towards God in the midst of it all. And during that time, many of the books or pieces of advice I was given, uh, they tried to minimize or dismiss what I was feeling. Things like, um, you know, don't worry, you'll find someone nice someday. I didn't like her that much anyway. (laughs) I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? (laughs) People will try to say things, and I, I, I know cognitively they meant to be helpful. And so if you said something like that to me, I have forgiven you. (laughs) But the experience of that, I raged against those sentiments. Because quite frankly, they were lies. They were lies that tried to dismiss or diminish what it was that I was experiencing. Tried to say that it didn't matter and that I should get over it. But the reality is, though, no matter what some book offered or some person said to me, nothing was going to change the fact that I most likely won't have children who have my eyes. That I don't have a partner or didn't have a partner that was going to honor our vows in the face of anything. That I was alone. That I had to rebuild my life and do that alone. Psalm 27, however, it acknowledged my pain and my loss. It let me feel less crazy as it affirmed that I wasn't seeing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it reminded me that I wasn't alone. That when I felt like I was, my job was to wait, to be strong, to summon the courage that I could and wait for the presence of the Lord. But it was also an act of confidence. As if to say that someday, I would experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That night can only last so long and that God would come just as the sun would rise. I could go on and talk about my story, but one, I don't think I have the market cornered on loss, and two, it's not about me. And so I want to tell you a story about uh, two of my friends, John and Michaela Butler. Michaela describes their season of loss beginning when they joined a club that they never wanted to be a part of. They lost their baby. Noah Hudson Butler was born a a healthy 7 pounds, 5 ounces on June 5th, 2013. And Michaela describes the first 24 hours of him as this uh, other dimension of bliss. For her and her husband John, their dreams had come true. They had become parents. Then, as Michaela says, the nightmare began. Because Noah started having trouble breathing. And things went from bad to worse. Twelve days later, he was diagnosed with an extremely rare and fatal condition called 
alveolar capillary dysplasia. And essentially, it's one of those things that there's nothing for the doctors to do. And so they said goodbye to their sweet boy four years ago today, on June 18th, 2013. Michaela describes that day as one of the holiest days with the one who would change their lives forever. And she blogged throughout, and still is, about her journey through grief. But here's something she said a month after Noah died. I truly feel like God put some sort of bubble around us during that entire day, graciously protecting us from the intense heaviness of reality. Shock is a gift sometimes. It allowed us to be in the moment to enjoy our boy, because we were essentially being introduced to him and saying goodbye all at once. We were desperate to take in every detail, his itty-bitty fingernails, the way his upper lip sort of peeked out over his lower lip, his hair that went from the top of his head to his sideburns to his eyebrow without any break, the way he just personified peace. She continued, but shock wears off. And as time goes on, layers of the protective bubble are removed one by one, and the devastating reality became much more apparent. She said that every day we're living in a world without Noah in it. A car seat, once installed and ready, is now a glaring reminder of who is not here. A vacation planned months ago with him in mind now feels empty and void. He was supposed to be there. Our loss seems to slap us in the face at every turn. In its purest form, we just miss him. Seven months after Noah died, Michaela and John boarded a plane uh, to go to Louisiana to adopt uh, a newborn boy. And upon arriving, they learned that there were complications during labor. And after spending three days with this feisty boy who was fighting to live, their baby boy Isaac tragically passed away. And I asked Michaela, what was something that, like, what did you hold on to? What guided you in the midst of that? And what grounded you? And she said it was Psalm 91, which was Noah's life verse. You who live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And the Lord says in response, those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. And when they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. With long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. She said they prayed that over him every day that they were at the hospital. They prayed for it, hoping and desperate for rescue, for deliverance, for protection over his body. They prayed for long life for him on earth because that was the meaning of the name Noah, long life. And she said that after his death, the verse became God speaking over her and John. That God would rescue them, you know, they hoped that God would rescue them from the despair, that he would deliver them from their hopelessness, and that God would just rescue them from it all. And while they weren't delivered and the, from the hopelessness and despair, she said she knows that she was not alone, that they were not alone, and that God did make a way. For them and through everything they went through, God was present. And she remarks that now that there was this time that she thought she would never sing again, let alone sing praise. That there was a time when she thought that she would be paralyzed with pain and fear forever. And while it's taken four years and is something that is she's, she and John are still facing, God continues to make a way through it. It was important for me to want to talk about loss today because in the midst of my own journey, I felt really lost. I felt alone and I felt really misunderstood. And some of that was unavoidable, and I get that, but not all of it. 
And a lot of the time as I was walking through that I really wished for better guides and more companions through it. And so what I want to offer is just some thoughts I have about loss and about how God can craft us through it. And they're not exhaustive. And I wish we could talk about this for a lot more time than we have today. But I can't speak to all the facets of grief and loss and, and because in part, it's so personal. And it's best met over conversation and through relationship. But what I can do is, from my journey and from those that I love, offer some thoughts that are hopefully a good starting place for such a broad and important topic. The first thing I want you to hear is that if you are currently experiencing some kind of loss, I am deeply sorry. I don't say that trying to assume anything about your story, that I know the contours of what it is for you. But I say that as someone who knows his own journey and understands loss from that perspective and holds, it, and holds a sadness that others have to experience something like it. In the midst of your loss, I would encourage you to be patient with yourself and to take the time that you need to heal. Something I felt, and I don't think I'm alone in this, but that there's this personal temptation and this kind of pressure that you feel from other people to get better so that everyone can feel better about it. And I remember in the midst of it, like, thinking, like, if I were in the hospital and I just had a major surgery, would someone walk in there and just say, cheer up, it's not so bad. You'll heal. Right? Like, we wouldn't do that to someone. But somehow in the midst of loss, there's this weird temptation because it makes us uncomfortable, and I think it pushes on our own loss, that when others experience it, there's this desire to, like, can we just get over it? And my push to you is that you need to give yourself time to heal. We need to give others the time to heal. I also think it's important to say that as isolating as loss can feel, and it does, at a certain point, it is your choice whether or not you are alone in the midst of it. Community is one of the many gifts that God gives us through loss to help us heal. And so my push to you is to seek out someone to walk with you. Maybe it's a friend, Maybe it's a support group. Maybe it's one of the pastors here at Bell Prez. Dana Van Horn walked me through it. I can't imagine a better guide or companion in her. But seek out some form of community and support through this. And I will give you, it may not be the people you want. It may not be the people that you expected to be there for you. But the fact that that is another loss you're facing does not mean you have to be alone. And I would push you, as hard as it feels, to do the work to invite someone in. Most importantly, if you're facing loss right now, remember that, as crazy as this sounds, you do have a choice about the direction your life is headed from here. Even if your only choice is to choose to run from your loss or to face it. And my encouragement and my push to you is to choose to face it. The pragmatic side of me will tell you you're going to work it out somehow. It's a lot healthier way if you choose to. And as you do that, remember that even the darkest night ends and that the sun will rise. And also remember that ours is a God who meets us in the midst of anything. The God who is with us through everything. And the God who brings light into darkness. And so cling to God, cling to what you know, and trust him. For me, I was choosing to wait for God. I was choosing to acknowledge that when I felt alone, when I felt like he was absent, to trust that I wasn't alone. 
It was also choosing to spend a lot of time with my buddy Trevor and choosing to share how I felt, what I was going through, to talk about it and to say, I can't do this alone and to trust that he would be there with me and wanted to. And he walked with me through the darkness. He's still walking with me. And he helped me find God when I needed it and pointed me towards him, helped me find the things to celebrate, and grieved with me over the losses that I continued to feel. And so to those of you who know someone who is experiencing loss right now, please be like my friend Trevor. Please be a faithful companion to those who are grieving and be present in love. Your job is not to try and fix it for them, for me. If it's me, your job is not to try and fix it for me. It's not to try and explain it away for me. It's not to try and tell me how things will be better someday. Your job is to be present. And if it's me you're coming alongside, when I want to talk, when I want to process, when I want to ask for advice, I will let you know. But until then, what I really need is I need you to be there. And not just one day or another day, but to be there for the long haul. To remember things like when my anniversary was. One of the biggest gifts I got through that is there were a few sweet women here at church that knew I wasn't getting a lot of hugs. And every time they saw me, they just gave me a hug and told me they loved me. And it seemed probably so small to them, but to me, it made my day. And I appreciated that they saw me and remembered me through my loss by just giving me a hug and honoring the fact that I was alone and felt alone and that connection was healing. If you're thinking to yourself that doesn't sound like very much, anyone who is grieved will tell you that is more than you can imagine and do it. Please be faithful friends in the midst of it. And another thing that I think it's important to say is that sometimes we can get in this game of comparing losses and to say, like, this is not so bad as that. And loss is something that I think we all experience. And I don't think one loss is better or worse than another. And I actually learned that from Michaela. It was um, after I had been separated, it was uh, like four or five months after Noah had died, Michaela saw me and tried to offer me some very thoughtful and kind words to be present to me. And I just kind of interrupted her and said, like, hey, like, you don't need to do that. What you're going through is so much worse than what I'm facing. Like, you lost your son. And as I was trying to keep going, she cut me off and she was like, stop doing that. This is already lonely enough. Do not make me feel more alone. And what I learned that day was that loss isn't about the severity of it or the perception that other people have. Loss is about the impact that it has on you. Loss is about what you've experienced. And sure, you may not have lost your child. You may not have gone through a divorce, but I think every single person in this room has had an experience with grief or loss and holds something from that. And it's not about whose is worse or more significant. It's about the fact that something you loved, something you cherished, something that you adored is gone. It's about the fact that that maybe it's something like a vision of your future. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's someone you loved. But loss doesn't know an age. It doesn't know a gender. It doesn't know a race. It doesn't know a socioeconomic bracket. It knows us. The playing field is level here. 
We have to find a way to be present to our own loss, to the losses of other people, and point them towards God in the midst of it. Something I also want to make sure that I say today, and I really want you to hear this, I'm doing well. I really, truly am doing well. I'm actually engaged to be married to this wonderful woman named Julie, and I am ecstatic about the life that I get to spend with her. And the butlers, they are doing well too. Noah has two brothers that are named um, Miles and Levi, and they're happy to get to be parents to them and to love them without reservation. But I want you to hear more than anything as I tell you that, is that all of us aren't doing well because those things happened. Right? Hear that. We're not doing well because, like, Julie is wonderful and amazing, and I love her, and I am ecstatic, seriously. Like, meet her sometime. I will talk to me about her sometime. I am over the moon in love with this girl. And Levi and Miles are amazing. But here's the deal. No amount of excitement or joy is going to remove the scars that I carry or that Michaela and John carry. And I think sometimes when we think about healing, we think that sometimes it's like it means that we forget that we had pain and we act as if we didn't. But in the same way that when Jesus appears to Thomas and he has scars, on the other end of healing, we carry the marks of that healing. And we have to hold to them as they're a testament of God's work. We don't act, we, to, to diminish them or to say they're not there is to diminish what God has done in our lives in the midst of it. And so what we have to hold is that even though good things have come out of our loss, Michaela and John would say that, I would say that, all the good in the world will not make up for the fact and will not make up for how bad my divorce was or Noah's death. Nothing can make that good. They remain horrible, tragic, and I would dare say evil events. And the badness of our loss and the goodness of our, those results, they're connected to be sure, but make no mistake, they are not the same thing. I don't believe that I can't have children, that I got divorced so that it, for an opportunity to change for the better, to grow as a human, to somehow be a blessing to other people. And I don't believe Noah died for any of those reasons either. That those things have happened, and they have, but that they, those things have happened, they speak to the goodness and the amazing and awesome power of God and his ability to take something that is utterly ugly and turn it into something beautiful. They do not for a minute make that what happened, the, the, the loss that happened, a good thing. They will never justify it. And I say that not out of bitterness or resentment, but out of a testament to what God does. And that scars are not bad. They're a testimony to God's work. And to carry them is an honor. And there is grief to be held with it for sure. But there is also hope. I would also want you to know that the loss that I still carry, it is sweet as well as it is bitter. I still have a sorrowful soul. I think it's how I'm going to be but I still wake up every day with a sense of joy and wonder about what each day will bring. I've never felt the pain that I've felt these past years. Yet, I have grown tremendously and learned to love who I am in a way that I didn't know possible before. Never have I felt so broken, yet never have I felt so whole. And things that I used to think were mutually exclusive, things like loss and hope, sorrow and joy, pain and pleasure, death and life, for me, they've become parts of a greater whole. And I would say to you that God, in the midst of it, my, you know, it's like my soul has been stretched. Michaela and John have shared similar things to me. And ultimately, here's what, here's, I guess here's what I want you to know. 
Loss can diminish us, but it can also expand us. It depends on the choices we make and the hope that we choose to receive. And loss can function as a catalyst to transform us. It can lead us to God, the one that has the power and the desire to give us life. And the result of being handcrafted by God through loss is that we become these strange mixtures of loss and of hope. I really do, trust me, I wish there was another way. But the Bible and the story that it speaks to and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ seem to tell us that ours is a God that chooses to work through loss and through brokenness. And that's the story we participate in. And that's the people that we are. He is the God that turns ugly into beautiful, night into day, and can infuse our loss with hope. So holy God, be present to us in our loss and the things that we carry and help us to trust you with them, to trust that night will end and that the sun will rise, to remember that we're not alone even when it feels like you're not there. Encourage and guide us to be faithful friends and companions and to trust you in all things. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.